Greetings, my friends. Welcome to Hardwater Radio. This is Jason Archer. We're recording under the umbrella of Hardwater One here in the Valley of the Sun. And today we continue the mission to arm humans with the tools to crush mediocrity, create mastery, and live in total wellness with my next guest, Patrick Gibbons. Now, Patrick is a good friend of mine, actually, an entrepreneur, business owner here in the Valley. He's the owner and founder of Patrick Gibbons Handmaids, a successful, genuine, exotic leather golf products company. And uh, the guy puts out some amazing stuff. So we're definitely going to hook you up with all the ways you can connect with him on social media and check out his website and, and check out some of his products during the course of the podcast. But um, for now, we're going to dive in his story and uh, collect a little bit of his history. So Patrick, man, welcome. Appreciate you being on. Oh, appreciate appreciate you having me. Yeah, man, absolutely. So um, I mentioned before that uh, we met quite a few years ago, and I knew a little bit about you. We we connected, and I learned a little bit about you. But um, I'm really curious as to you know what life was like before we ever even got to that point. You know, so tell us a little bit about where you grew up. What was life like for young Patrick growing up? So I was born in Boston, Massachusetts. Um, that's where my mom's mom's side of the family is from. Um. I was born there because my mother was sent there um, by her father because she was pregnant mm. um, and uh, wasn't married. Um, my parents actually got married and then divorced before I was born. Really? Um, and so because of embarrassment and shame back in you know those days, and especially my grandfather's generation, he had sent my mom off to live with you know, his in-laws. Um, and once I was hatched, I was brought back into the fold. <laughs> the fold back then was, was, uh, in Michigan, you know, kind of small town, Michigan. And he was, he was a, uh, the country doctor, eye doctor. Mm-hmm. Um, so for the first three and a half, four years of my life, it was just my mom and I, and, and my grandparents. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, and, and my father, you know, on, on trips, mm-hmm. trips to visit him. Um, but, uh, at four, my mom got remarried. Um, and at that point we moved to Washington DC for a job that he had then to, and then, and then really to Chicago, but it was, it was, uh, several cities in several years. Mm -hmm. So it was a lot of moving. That was, um, one of the things about my early childhood that I remember is, you know, different schools every year, um, which may, you know, start to explain like some other things that we've talked about, um, personally in my life, um, probably has a, a, what it has a impact as far as, you know, why I've never really felt comfortable. Really? Um, what do you, what do you mean by that when you say you've never really felt comfortable? So my brother and sister, who, who I mentioned were 10 and 12 years younger. Um, they basically grew up in one city their entire life. Oh, so one school, one group of friends from pretty much kindergarten through high school. Um, I went to two different preschools, a different kindergarten, two different grade schools. Um, so from Third grade to eighth grade, I was kind of in one spot, but then going into high school, I went to a different school than the, I went to a private school. My grandfather wanted to send me to, you know, an all boys Catholic school. Right. Um, so then that was kind of another starting point, starting over point. So to me, I've just never really felt like I fit in or, um, 
not that I didn't belong. I mean, I had friends and stuff like that, but um, just always picking up and moving. It was always kind of that new kid type of thing. Yeah, for sure. You know, getting settled, figuring out, you know, the, the lay of the land. And, and then by the time I figured it out, you know, early in life, it was moved to another place, <laughs> you know, start over again. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that that's, that's just kind of, um, you know, that had an impact, you know, th- and it's through my life. For sure. Was it hard for you to, to make friends as you moved from school to school? I know for me, I, I had that happen quite a bit. And for me, it was very difficult. It, no, I, I don't, I don't, I don't think it was, uh, it was diff. No, I don't, I don't think it was difficult. I mean, I, I, I make friends fairly easy. Yeah. I mean, I know you, I know you today, right. As, as a person with a really great personality, you know, always with a smile on your face, you know, telling funny stories and, and that sort of thing. And so have you just always been that type of person that, you know, was kind of magnetic toward people or no? Well, I, I think that that's, that's part of probably what was picked up at an early kind of age is, um, you know, to, to fit in mm-hmm. and to make friends. Um, yeah. So I, I mean, I, I, I imagine those, those early years that that's just kind of carried on for sure. For sure. So where was, uh, where did you first experience, uh, stability? Was that the, you said third grade to eighth grade for that five year period there, or did it come later in life? Where you felt, uh, you know, like I'm you, still waiting for it. You're still waiting. For so, it. <laughs> it, 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 you know, the, the ground always seems like, uh, you know, waiting for a little tremor to come. Or, but yeah, I mean, you know, third grade to to eighth grade. I mean, that 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 to me was that's that's my childhood. That's where you know, when people ask, you know, hey, you know, where are you from? You know, and, and the answer, if you're from Chicago, the answer is Chicago. Sure. But then you ask, and and nobody's actually really from Chicago. I mean, the, the true Chicagoans are obviously, but, sure. you know, but I grew up in, in a suburb just north of the city. And, and when people ask, you know, where you're from, it's Skokie, Illinois. Mm. Um, you know, it was, it was a, uh, it was an interesting suburb because we had just a, a, a mix, a wide mix of, of kids. Um, Skokie is, is predominantly Jewish. Um, so the majority of the population is in, in my classes were, were Jewish kids from Korea, Philippines, Chinese. Um, we had, uh, one of my buddies was from Trinidad. His family was from Trinidad. Um, so I sort of joke that, that, uh, you know, going to school in Skokie, it was me and me and Dan Shanahan were the only Irish Catholic kids. And then, and then everybody else. So we were, we were a bit of the minority. (laughs) Um, but it was a great place to grow up and it was, it was diverse. Very cool. And then you said at the eighth grade, you then moved again before you went into high school? Or well, you, I, I moved high schools. schools. Oh, that's so right. I, you went to a private school, private Catholic school. Yeah. yeah. So I'd just, I'd commute to it. We didn't move again until my senior year of high school. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just stayed at that high school because it was kind of a commuter school. So did any of those kids that you knew from grade school end up in that same school with you? Did. We had, uh, I think there were like six of us. Um, so you had a little gang going in there? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. So it wasn't, uh, but you know, with that school, it was kids from all over the Chicagoland area. Um, so going in there, you know, everybody kind of had their little gangs. Yeah. Um, and it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was another, another thing of, you know, kind of getting grounded and figuring out the lay of the land and, you know, just in, in the same, same sort of steps as before. 
Right, right. That's interesting, man. Like I, uh, you know, I, I, f- I feel like a lot of times when, you know, kids move around from place to place, it does create that sense of, oh, well, shit, what's coming next? You know, when's the other shoe going to drop? <laughs> Which oh, yeah. is kind of what I picked up from you with your, you know, your first couple statements talking about I'm still unsettled. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. You still carry that with you. That's interesting. Well, yeah, there's, you know, there's that. And then there's, um, you know, that unsettlement. I mean, and, and then you know, being a part of a family mm-hmm. that wasn't the most settled um, in the house, not just between houses uh, and moving, but, you know, um, you know, my, my house had, my household had turmoil in it. So um, that also created, you know, more, more of a, an unsettling feeling, yeah. which didn't, didn't really change depending on, you know, locations that was always there. Right, the one constant was yeah. the turmoil. Yeah, <laughs> the issues with your parents, uh, with with one another, or you with your stepfather, or how that? What was that looking like? No, it was between them. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, there was uh, uh, infidelity, mm. um, and then the the you know the battles that that would create. Right, of course. Um, and then it, it, you know, living in small houses with thin walls, you know. Um, there, there, it was it was either known, and if it wasn't directly known what was going on, the the feeling was there. Right, right. I know when I was a kid, I think I shared this with you privately. But when I was a kid, you know, my parents both came from abusive homes, and so when I would come home from school, you know, neither of my parents had the tools, man. Like they did, you know, they had no clue, and they were just doing the best that they could with what they had. And you know, I love them to death for it today. But at the time, as a kid, I totally didn't get it. And I remember coming home from school and I never know, knew what mood or what environment I would find. Yeah. And when I was old enough to move down into the basement to just get away from it all, you know, I was gone, you know, so I would walk through the front door coming in from school, wouldn't say a word to anyone because I didn't want to disturb or poke, you know, the bear, so to speak. And I would just run straight to my room man, and I would just stay there. You know, we had TV down there. Everything that we needed was down there and I wouldn't emerge unless there was food that needed to be eaten or something like that. Oh yeah. And, uh, I can, I can relate to that, that feeling, man, of, uh, just not knowing, you know, what sort of environment you're going to be in. When you're talking about moving around, you're like, okay, well I moved around a lot, but now you're dealing with instability with your parents. That's got to have some sort of effect on you as a young man coming up in terms of like how you see yourself and how you see your place in the family. Did you ever feel comfortable when you came home or was it just always a situation where it was like, you never knew? Yeah, I, I didn't, uh, I don't know if it wasn't feeling comfortable. Um, cause that's kind of, that's what I knew. So I, I didn't know, you know, what term it was. Um, so you mean I like didn't the, know what a normal was. So like the turmoil was, was your comfort. Is that what you're saying? Like you were used, so used to it that it was familiar kind of a thing. Well, that was just, yeah, that's, that, that was just kind of the existence. So when we did, um, we weren't together in, in the, in the basic, but in the, one of the exercises where everybody's kind of yelling in the ear. Okay. Yeah. I don't know if you recall that one. I do. Yeah. The support one. You got a support person, then you got three people kind of antagonizing you and all yeah, that yeah. sort of stuff. Um, I love that exercise. Um, I, because those three that were coming at me that I feel comfortable in that. Oh, totally. So let me set the stage for anyone listening. So 
one of the exercises that we went through with uh, PSI seminars at their basic was it's basically learning to, what was the point? Like basically learning to accept support, you know, or not, uh, or, or, oh no, I know what it was. It was, it was, it was remembering how hard it was to hear the positive in this, in this environment of negative. So we had a group of people, one person was being, one person was your support and then a bunch of other people just yelling negative shit at you. Mm Mm-hmm. And then you were supposed to try and pick out the positive from the negative or, or remember at least that's what I took from it. Like how difficult is it to hear the positive when you're facing a bunch of negative stuff? What, what was your takeaway from that? Well, you know, when I staffed it, it became something different. Um, but w- well, what I took from it was that I'm comfortable in, in that kind of chaos. In the chaos. Yeah. Um, I, I, that to me is comfort. So, you know, when you, when you're asking like, well, you be comfortable in that, well, that's all I know. Right. I mean, at, at that time, so that it wasn't until later when I, when I, when I kind of get into calming experiences where it's like, this isn't right. This is weird, man. This isn't, this is, you know, you see, so I didn't have many like healthy examples of, of families growing up. Mm-hmm. You know, Cause there was always something that I, that, you know, me and my friends knew about each other's families. Um, but when I would come across somebody that had like a healthy family, um, I didn't feel comfortable there. <laughs> it's like, this is weird. You know, you know, not until later in life um, where I was like, wow, okay, this could, this could have been very nurturing and wow, what could have been create, created here. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, that, you know, chaos and turmoil was, was, uh, has always just been, um, has always been there and I got comfortable there because that was just what I was used to. Yeah, for sure. For sure. That's easy to do. You know, it's, uh, it's the devil, the whole idea of the devil, you know, right. Versus the one that you don't. Well, I mean, it is what it is. You know, I mean, that's um, it, it. Would I, would I pick it? You know, again, if I could, if I could go and pick, would I pick my family? Well, knowing what would you I know pick, now. Would I pick my parents? Yeah. Um, you know, what I've liked, you know, different experiences, you know, in theory, yeah. Um, but I'm pretty content today with, with who I am. And that was all caused by the, obviously, the experiences that I've been through. And, um, you know, but it, it uh, but as far as, you know, getting more specific, as far as, you know, the, the environment grown up, that, that was, you know, just, it was just kind of chaotic and um, chaotic. Yeah. No, I can relate, man. I, uh, you know, I've, I've had the opportunity to meet your mom. She's a sweet lady. <laughs> and, uh, you know, she's, you, you could tell, right? Like you could tell she's tough, man. Like you could tell she's been through some things, you know, I'm sure she's, she's seen some things and you've seen some things. I'm sure that she's gone through that, you know, that, uh, a lot of people will never experience or never understand, but, um, it definitely changes you when you go through hard things like that, you know, it changes how you view the world and, and your place in it. And, uh, you know, it's interesting because, I look at you today and it's hard to imagine you in that environment because I never knew you then, but it's also difficult to separate, you know, how I, how I would feel if I were in your shoes because I've experienced something similar in my own life. I think that's one of the reasons that, um, I kind of hit it off with you is that you started telling me a little bit of your story and I could relate to you immediately. And I don't know how much of my, my story I shared with you, but it was very similar to that probably less moving around, but definitely the chaos at home was, was something that we have in common for sure. Oh yeah. 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 I think a lot of kids, I don't know. 
was it was it pretty common? I mean, we're the same age, so was it pretty common for kids in your neighborhood to have that sort of craziness going on at home? You know, I think I think we're like eighties, like eighties latchkey kids. You know, yeah. I mean, you know, my experience was so I, you know, I considered myself a uh, you know from a mixed home, uh, not, not broken, but mixed. You know, remarried kind of thing, not. You know, it was a stepdad, um, you know, a handful of my friends, you know, had their biological parents living with them, but many of them, you know, both parents worked. Um, so there was a lot of freedom, you know, after school for a few hours before, um, parents got home. It, it wasn't the, you know, the today's, you know, helicopter parents. Um, you know, we, we, uh, and it, maybe it should have been a little bit more, um, although I, I, I enjoyed my childhood, but yeah, when we get out of school and take off and, you know, we had, we had a couple hours to go get in trouble and, and not be supervised and, and have fun. Um, and yeah, yeah. So, was, I mean, we, like I said, I mean, besides just a, a diverse ethnicity in our school, there was, there was diversity as far as, you know, parents working. Some parents had the stay at home mom, uh, you know, some had the single moms. Um, so it was just, it was a, it was a good mix. Um, and it was a good mix in the, in that sense, because it was like, you know, with that sort of unst- instability or, you know, for me to have like a comfort level of like, why, why do I always feel like out of place? Well, if I kind of looked around at, at other friends, mm-hmm. we were all sort of out of place in one way or another. Yeah. I mean, does, I mean, I don't know, maybe I'm, grasping at straws, but does anyone ever feel like they're not out of place? Like I, I, I personally have not been in a spot where anywhere I go, I just feel like I automatically belong. There's always a part of me that's like, Hmm, maybe I should hang out here on the wall and watch people for a little while, you know? Yeah. Well, like I said, I mean, I've met some people that, you know, have had those kind of, um, healthy upbringings. Um, <laughs> Those weirdos with uh, with healthy families. Yeah, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I mean, you know, the older I've gotten, the more people I've talked to. I mean, it seems it seems that the the vast majority, um, you know, you know, kind of have that unsettled, um, you know, potential of of having that not belonging feeling. Oh God, yeah, I think it's so common, man. I I was interviewing um, Sean, another guest, and we were talking about this whole social anxiety thing. And, you know, I went to a networking event with her or not with her, but I met her there and I just walked up and I started talking to her, you know, and she confessed to me. She's like, oh, I was so anxious at the, at the networking event. I'm like, man, me too. And they're like, well, I never would have guessed that because you were just walking around talking to people. And I was like, yeah, that's kind of the agreement I make with myself when I do these things, but that doesn't mean it feels good for me to do it. Right. You know, and so when you're talking about that, that's what came, came up for me, you know, like this, I don't really belong here. Like I'm, I'm not like Johnny socialite, but I can fake it if I have to. And, you know, of course I of course I can be kind to people and talk to people. It's not, you know, the end of the world, but it's not something that I gravitate toward either. Yeah. Yeah. And that's weird. So when you went, when you, um, finished high school, you went straight into college and you said you went over to Ohio. Yeah. University of Dayton, Dayton, Ohio. And why did you decide to leave town? <laughs> um, I chased a girl there. Oh, um, did you? Yeah. A girl from uh, uh, 
high school was supposed to go there. And, uh, and so that's, that's how I made my decision to go there rather than, uh, Michigan state. (laughs) There's kind of a common theme that I was just going to say that starts to happen where it's, it's, um, I don't know. And I don't know if it's always chasing, um, or following chase. Um, because chasing would be like they're running. Um, so, but... Uh, You're not stalking here. Yeah. just want to be clear. Right. You know, not in all the cases. <laughs> um, but yeah, so... Let the record show. Yeah, I made my decision um, based off of a... Uh, based highly... Is this a high school one. relationship? Oh, yeah. Yeah? Know, which are the great ones, right? The same school? Or different no, no, schools? No, she, went, she went to the girl's school. I went to the guy's school. Okay. Um, nice girl. Nice girl. Yeah, Catholic kids. Yep. Yep. Right on, right on. Yep. What is it with Catholic school, man? There's always some craziness coming out of those places. It seems like it's like pent up repression or something. You gotta, you gotta do, you gotta make up for all the stuff that you know you, you thought you should you be supposed to be doing. Yeah, you weren't supposed to be doing that. You were somehow finding a way to do, even though your parents forced you to go to this. Yeah, listen, I would have still been doing it had I gone to the public <laughs> school anyway, and I had been to the public school and grade school, so I had a, I had a different uh, foundation there. Right, but. uh but yeah, went went off to uh, went off to Dayton. Chose that school um, primarily because a girl. But I also did have a great time the weekend mm-hmm. that I that I went there to visit um, during March Madness when they were when they were good at basketball. So um, and and I don't I don't regret going there. Yeah, did you you know learn much from college experience from your college experience, or was it something that you could have skipped and you know gone into the next phase of life and never missed it? Well, I mean, from a, from, from the actual classrooms, um, I probably could have skipped that. Mm-hmm. Um, I was an art major, so, you know, I was there to paint and draw and, um, you know, spin pottery wheels and stuff like that. Um, yes, I could have probably done that at home and, but I mean, as far as the education of, of, um, you know, four years of, of the social aspect of college, um, the, the, the responsible learning to be responsible, you know, and not having parents around and taking care of myself and, um, you know, having an assignments and stuff like that. I mean, um, that that's invaluable in my opinion. Yeah, for sure. You know, there's a, a lot of back and forth on the whole college thing nowadays. Like, is it worth it? Is it not worth it? You know, and someone asked me this question the other day and I was just like, well, if I had to do all over again, I would skip it because now knowing what I know now, I would have just started my first business and then, you know, been five or six years further down the road. What, well, what are your I, thoughts on that? I had the con- conversation with my, my, uh, my stepdad at the time of, I don't understand why I'm going to college. Right. And I, I understood that if you go to college back in the nineties, um, that graduating, you, you're going to get you know, a better job, you know, potentially, you know, ideally make more money. Um, well, that was the sales pitch, right? But it wasn't necessarily the truth. Well, it still was back then. Yeah. In a way. Yeah. I think it's from what I understand, it's even worse today in terms of the pressures and the sales pitch, but well, the sales pitch is is still the same, but what, what I had asked him was, why don't I just get an internship at an ad agency? And why wouldn't I do that for four years and get on the job training Mm -hmm. rather than go to school? Um, and since he was obviously older, he gave me the, the, the earlier sales pitch, um, which made sense for earlier generations. Um, I don't, I don't, 
you know, listen, when, when other generations, families were working in factories or coal mines and stuff, and they wanted something better for their kids, um, that was great. And, and, it, and it made sense. Um, but listen, if you can go out and, and be an electrician, electricians make good money. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, when you start adding up, you know, the cost of college, what you're missing, well, number one, the cost plus what you're losing by not making money in those four years that you're there and you start learning a trade. I mean, I didn't, I don't think I needed college for my current job. I didn't need it for my previous kind of career before my current one. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know I, I know I learned a lot there. Um, but you're referring to like learning a lot about life. Right. Not necessarily. It wasn't, it wasn't it, subject matter specific. If you want to be an accountant, right. a doctor, an engineer. Yeah. You got to do it. You know, you want to, you want to be a lawyer. Yeah. yeah go to college. Right. Um, I'm not knocking college. I mean, I, 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 I loved it. Um, but, but you know, our cost of college back then wasn't what it is today. Oh, definitely not. Um, and, and, and then nowadays, I mean, you also take a look at, you know, all the online colleges and these kind of, um, well, colleges that pop up in every, like a strip mall college. Yeah. Um, not, like these little satellite schools. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, what, what are their degrees worth? Sure. Um, what, what's being taught? I mean, it's, I, I'm glad I, I'm not, it, I'm glad I'm not 18 right now. And, and having to decide, um, you know, I'd, I'd have to take a look at, well, one of my friends that I went to grade school with, and we were talking about this before we got on, who, who passed away a couple of years ago, he has a son that that's 20 and, and I met with him recently and he hasn't gone to college and he wants to be an electrician. Um, I think it's great. Um, go to trade school, you know, become an intern, um, you know, an apprentice, um, you know, he, he could have a, a, a very comfortable life doing that. Oh, yeah. Um, and it's skills that, that are needed. Um, now, now, nowadays people are, seem to be looking at like, you know, like work, working workers, um, that, that it's not like an admirable thing to do. Yeah, for sure. That's Mike Rowe's message basically, right? Where he's talking about how the trades are basically undervalued, yeah. And and yet you can start a, your own plumbing business, for example, and make six figures out of the gate versus going to college for four years and racking up six, multiple six figures of debt, possibly graduating in the hole. And maybe you get a $15 an hour job at Starbucks with your art degree yeah, <laughs> kind of a thing. Well, or, you know, or you could be like an Instagram model or, yeah, yeah, or, yeah, for you know, sure. Instantly famous or, right. you know, an overnight success in a business. You know? Yeah. But those things are, I mean, even if you're you know, if you're selling, you know, TNA as an Instagram model, right. You're still an entrepreneur on, in some sense of the word, you're selling, you know, an image, you're selling this unattainable image for most people, I would say. And, you know, you're collaborating with people, you're building relationship, you're, you know, like you're starting to do this with your company, you're, you're selling product for other people. So you're learning the skills that are required to market and grow a business or a brand or an image, which are, you know, like you said, like you went to school for art, but here you are an entrepreneur 
you know, so how does that really add up? How does it factor in? I don't really know that it does anymore, especially when you weigh the pros and cons. But I mean, at the end of the day, what do you want is the big question. And if you had to go back and do it all over again, would you still go to college? Knowing what I know now? Yeah, knowing what you know now. I wouldn't need to. You wouldn't need to, exactly. I wouldn't need to go to college. That's my point, right? So what is the point of it all other than just college football in the fall? I'm saying I wouldn't need to because if I could go back with knowing what I know now, um, well, one, I could just gamble because I would know future events, right? So, <laughs> I mean, I, I would... No, but like, forget the time travel conundrum, right? Like for now, let's say you were you at whatever, 17, 18 years old, right? And you ran into future you and future you is giving you the pros and cons. As a 17 year old kid or 18 year old, whatever you were. I, I would have gone back to school. I, I, I'd, school. I'd go to school again. Right. Um, you know, at, at 18, 19, um, I needed those years um, to, to have you know, that type of structure. Um, I didn't have an entrepreneurial spirit back then. So I went to Dayton. Um, I ended up graduating from DePaul University. I went to Dayton for four years, Mm -hmm. um, left because I realized that their art program wasn't that great. And I saw people graduating ahead of me that were coming back to visit that weren't even in the industry. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, Dayton wasn't on the forefront of design. We were doing kind of the old um, working with fonts and doing things by hand. We didn't really grasp the idea of these computers that were coming out. Mm. Um, so many of the other schools that were pushing out people that were educated like on the computers and the new technology, they were getting the jobs. And um, so the last year I, I just realized that, you know what, I don't think getting a degree from here in this major is going to pay off for me. Maybe I should regroup. Right. Um, so I went home and while I was there, I got a job. I got a job selling cutlery, door to door kind of cutlery, referral sales, Cutco. Vector oh, yeah. Marketing. I remember Cutco. Yeah. 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 Um, they, were, they recruited kids heavily. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and I did that for a while and was really good at it. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, at that point, my, my, my family had lived in a kind of an affluent, um, a very affluent area of Chicago. So um, there wasn't that hesitation with the people that I was meeting with. They didn't have that, uh, that money objection like had I been in other areas. Sure. Um, and I seemed to, to sell really well to like my brother and sister's friends, moms. <laughs> um, I, I got along with their moms a lot. Right. And, uh, and they bought a lot of cutlery. But... Uh, but because of that experience, uh, on one of my sales pitches um, that I, where I didn't sell cutlery, the husband that was there was, was kind of supervising my pitch, and he said, listen, we're not buying any cutlery, so you can just, you can just stop. But have you ever thought about going into sales? I think you'd be good at sales. And I said, no, really, I hadn't really thought of it. Because I, when I thought of sales, I thought of Herb Tarlick, Turlick. WKRP in Cincinnati. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, that to me was the salesman, and I was kind of slimy thought, guy. Yeah, a little cheesy. Yeah, you know. Um. Anyway, this guy set me up on a couple interviews, um, in Chicago, and um, eventually I took one. It was in the building industry, and my family had been in the building industry, so I, I felt kind of comfortable in that. Um, taking that job just sort of delayed my going back to college. 
So you um, hadn't graduated at this point. You were still. No, I was on my semester off that turned oh, into like a year off. Right, right. Um, Your sabbatical. Yeah. And uh, eventually, so I, w- I wasn't an entrepreneur. In my time off, all my friends from high school and college were graduating. And a, hand, a couple of them were actually moving out here to Phoenix. And they, they were attempting to recruit me to come move out here. And I had in my mind this thing of, well, I didn't graduate. I don't have the paper. Um, I can't move to another city. What kind of job am I going to get? Right. You know, like that, that paper meant something. Um, so I didn't leave at that time. And, and eventually I got scared into going, finally going, quitting that job and going back to school just to get the paper, just to be done with it. Mm-hmm. Um, because another friend of mine from high school and college, um, uh, got his girlfriend pregnant. Um, and so he immediately had a family and he and I had been talking about how he was going to go back and get his degree. However, his, his little situation changed with that news and, and it frightened me to the point where I was like, you know what? Um, maybe I should, maybe I need to get back to college and get this thing over with. So I, I, uh, I contacted DePaul University in the city, gave them my transcript, and they, they uh, and I basically just asked. I said, hey, here's what I've taken at Dayton. What major will, will I have the least amount of classes to take to get? And they said, if you went into communications, um, you could be done in, I think it was like two semesters. Oh, wow. So I have a degree in communications. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it had nothing to do about what I wanted to go into. It was just get me that piece of paper because I kind of felt that that would be a stumbling block later. Sure. Yeah, that's yeah. why, that's why I created it in my mind. Yeah. That's how it was for me too. I, but I got that from my parents. Like it's not an idea that I came up with on my own. Like I'm not going to be able to make a, you know, make a decent living if I don't have this degree. And I, I think I, I remember graduating remotely. Like I mailed in my graduation application you know, and they send you all this stuff about, yeah, come walk. And I'm like, nah, just send me my sheepskin and we'll call it good. Yeah. Kind of a thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I didn't have the, you know, I had the limiting belief that, you know, without this piece of paper, you know, um, I probably got that from my grandfather. Yeah. You know, he was big on education. Well, that was a big deal though for that generation, man. Like uh, my grandparents, they didn't go to college. Like college was for rich people. <clears throat> You know, that's, that's how they thought of it. So it wasn't really, I don't even think for them it was about education. It was more about status. It was like, okay, well, at that point in time, fewer people had college degrees. Now a college degree is just like a high school diploma. Everybody has one for the right. most part. So it's like, like you were saying earlier, you know, it doesn't, it's not special anymore. It doesn't make you stand out from the crowd unless maybe you're going for advanced degrees or what have you. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, now the master's is a college degree. Yeah, basically, for sure. If you don't have that, you're definitely not separated at all from the crowd. No. Everyone's going. So you had your, you, so you went in for art and at Dayton, mm-hmm. transferred to DePaul, got a communications degree, yep. which I guess really isn't a big stretch, right? Because in a way, art is communication in, in some sense, right? Well, yeah. In, uh, at Dayton, it was visual communication design was there you the go. major. So we had communication. Had the same word in the, in the title, right? Yeah. I have a piece of paper that basically says that I can um, you know, talk on the <laughs> telephone and watch TV with a little bit of, you know, education. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's not minimize it, man. Communication is a big deal. Sure. Right. Yeah. So yeah. All right, cool. So you graduate with a communication degree. You've got some cut co-sales. You've got some building experience mm-hmm. from your family. Yep. What happens next? 
after college. After college, I went to work uh, for my family in the home building business. Okay. Uh, did your your family own the business, or they were involved with one, or? When I was growing up, they were involved with one. Okay. And and actually, in high school, the summers during high school, I would I would go out and I would be a laborer on the construction sites mm-hmm. and and move piles from one side to another each day and just get exposed to get exposed to home building. Right. Um, when I graduated from, from college, my family had their own, my, my stepdad had his own home building company. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went and uh, worked there and uh, worked in sales at first and then eventually got um, outside into the project management and started uh, managing the construction of the projects. Mm. Um, I did that for a while until, until I chased a girl to, um, <laughs> to Las Vegas. Um, with so the you, idea that I would, moved to Vegas, I did. Yeah. yeah. I moved to, moved to Vegas, picked up and, uh, put everything in a U-Haul wow. and moved out to Vegas. And did you know anyone in the Vegas area aside from her or no. is this just like, yeah, I'm doing it. No, I'm doing it. Right on. It was, uh, it was, uh, I, I have a lot of, uh, midlife crises. Um, <laughs> they always seem to be, you know. I call them midlife crisis, but that was, that was one where it was just like, you know what? Now I, I want out of Chicago. Uh, I want to experience something different. I have the paper now so I can make a, I have the paper and I also have, you know, a handful of years of, of experience, you know, in a variety of things. But you know, I was going out there to get into construction to Vegas. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, the, obviously Vegas was booming. Sure. Um, I had been, building and getting experience in, in, in Chicago with, with home building. So I thought it would just kind of transfer over there. Right. Um, what year was this? Do you remember? 2000. Okay. 2000. Okay. Yeah. Fall, fall, fall of 2000. Um, and I ended up being there about six months and realized that I made a mistake. Um, with the girl or with the move or with both, but primarily <laughs> the girl. Um, and, uh, and had an opportunity, uh, to open an office here in Phoenix, um, in land development. So it wasn't going to be building houses. Mm-hmm. It would be all the, 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 the acquisitions, um, preliminary approvals and government approval stuff. Um, once all that was approved, then what we would do is we would sell the, the property to home builders, mm-hmm. let them build it. Um, so it was sort of, you know, teeing up projects, um, and got involved with that. Now, was that with the same company that you were working with in Vegas? No, it was a different, it was a different company altogether. Yeah. Right on. So was, but this was a different skill set. It sounds like from the construction piece. It was, but, um, so what I was doing out here, as far as the acquisitions and the, in the kind of call it paper development, the pre-approval stuff, that was actually like my, my stepdad's forte. Oh, okay. In Chicago. So I, I had been exposed to it, you know, and, he was a city planner for years and um, not that my going to meetings as a kid would, would, would educate me, but, but I I knew, I knew the process. Mm. Um, And I'd been, I'd been around it enough that I was comfortable in it. Right. Um, So it wasn't, it wasn't a far fetch, uh, far fetch for me to be able to do it. Right. Um, I was able to do it. It, it, I mean, it was definitely different than, than the building. I like the building. Um, I, I loved showing up on a job site in the morning and eight hours later, 10 hours later, seeing something done, mm-hmm. whether it was that when I showed up in the morning, 
the ground was flat and when I left at the end of the day, a basement was dug or um, walls were up, a roof was on, cabinets were in. I mean, it was very satisfying because it was pretty instant gratification as far as seeing progress. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, whereas going into land development and dealing with like the government approvals and stuff, it, it, you know, the, the most you know, satisfying thing was, okay, maybe that stack of papers, pile of papers is smaller because it's, I mean, it just, it wasn't the same thing. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I, I, I'm a big advocate of the trades. So you'll hear, you know, whether it's saying, yeah, go and be an electrician or stuff. I loved it because, um, you didn't have to be PC. Um, you, you didn't have to necessarily be an ass, but there were a lot of asses out there that, what I loved about it was like, you kind of, I knew where I stood with people, Mm -hmm. you know, when I was dealing with the plumbers, if they weren't happy with me, they'd tell me and they'd use colorful language. Um, and they didn't really care if my feelings got hurt. Um, and, and vice versa, you know, I could do it with them. Um, so going into the office where you have to, you know, be a little bit more politically correct and, you know, I, I like the job sites. Yeah, for sure. My dad tells a story, speaking of, of that, knowing where you stand, he tells a story. You know, he was a kid with, uh, he had polio, so it afflicted his right leg. And he tells a story of, you know, going around his little town when he was growing up. It wasn't even a town, it was just a, you know, big county. So he would go from store to store looking for work. And they would take a look at him and they would say, well, you just can't do the work, you know. And he would say, why? Said, because you're crippled, you know. And you'd never get away with saying that today. But he tells a story with fondness because as he started looking for jobs as an older man, he would go into these same offices and he would feel like he was hired or not hired, you know, because they saw him limping into the office and, and they would assume that he's unable to do the work or whatever. But he never knew because they even if they wanted to tell him, they couldn't, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And so he, ta- he hearkens back to that time. He's like, you know what? At least at that point in time, I always knew where I stood. Yeah. And I, at least at that point, it, you know, you can, you can prove yourself or not. Just like the, if the, you know, if the tradesmen are pissed off with you at the, at the job site, you have an opportunity to redeem yourself at that moment because it's like, look, Patrick, this is not working for us, you know, fix it or don't, but you know, you're going to have a result one way or the other and you know where you stand yeah. you, can, you can move and go. It's interesting, man. What do you think about, um, you know, the way people work today in offices seems very sort of tame in comparison. You know, do you feel like there's more room for like direct communication, like straight up honesty in, uh, in human interaction? Or, no. no, no one. I, I'm not in offices nowadays. No, but you're on the phone with a lot of people. You're collaborating with people and that's basically, you know, it's not the same scenario, but like if you're, you know, if you need to get something done is honesty, an ally or is honesty kind of working against you in, in today's world? Well, the majority of people that I work with, um, we're not, they're not plumbers and electricians, but you know, leather people, they're not far off from it. Yeah. Um, there's direct communication, you know, there's, there's, I, I, I don't feel that, that, that I have to, pull punches or, or, or BPC. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't, you know, I'm not in corporate America. 
I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I don't think I would fit in there very well. <laughs> I am, I'm positive I wouldn't fit in there very well. So I don't, I, I wouldn't last. No. No. HR would call me and I, I'd be booted for offending somebody. Yeah. And you talk to people in these companies, it feels like, it feels like nothing's getting done in terms of like breaking that barrier of just being able to speak your mind. And, and I think this is one of those reasons where my people hate meeting so much in those environments. It's like, well, what are we really talking about here? We're talking around a bunch of points as opposed to actually getting to the point. You know what I mean? And then if you, if you're unable to inject direct communication, then it seems like you're wasting a lot of time. But the flip side of that is, well, you know, are you sacrificing relationships you know, or, or are you not like, it just feels like American productivity is falling behind the rest of the world when it comes to production. But I don't know if that has to do with well, what are we producing though? That's We're just not really it. producing We're, much. Exactly. That's my point. I mean, um, no, but I, we're not really producing anything which was one of the reasons why I wanted to start handmade was to actually start producing things here again. Sure. Um, but besides that, I mean, it seems that everybody that skin has gotten thinner, um, and people get offended very easily. Um, but should they is the question, right? Like how responsible should you be? as someone delivering a message to someone who's thin skinned and may or may not be able to handle it. Because like, it, I guess my point is this, right? If you have feedback to give me and I say to you, you give me the feedback and I say to you, well, I don't like the way you gave it to me. Right. I can always say that it's like, you're giving me, I'm giving myself a reason not to hear what you have to say. I'm giving myself a reason not to let, allow that information to come in because I didn't like the delivery but you could say, you know, this, this tone policing thing, you could say, well, it may, it may not be the delivery, but people are sometimes get offended with, it's not the delivery, but the message. Well, that's true too. Well, I'm sorry that, you know, like you're, you don't like hearing that. Um, big deal. I mean, <laughs> but, but, but I mean, yeah, I mean, so right. Everybody's a winner. Everybody gets the trophy. Mm-hmm. There's no hard feelings. There's no you can't say this because somebody gets, you know, butt sore about something. Right. Um, so how are you supposed to communicate? Well, how do you it. go into meetings and, 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 you know, I mean, I can't, I, I couldn't, that's why HR would, you know, I, I wouldn't go into corporate America. <laughs> I, I knew that, you know, 20 some years ago. Um, I, yeah, I'm I, you know, polished enough to be still rough around the edges or vice versa. I mean, um, but it just seems like it's even it's even worse today. Yeah, it's totally worse today, man. It's it's terrible today. I think that's a huge drain on our productivity, large or small. Whether you're talking about manufacturing, which we still do, you know, on a very small scale here, or if it's just pushing paper, you know, like uh, you have these vast swaths of people who are in the quote unquote service industry that just push paper. That's their job. The paperwork's not done right. Okay, well, I can't say something to you because you're gonna get all butt hurt and not talk to me for three days. Well, you know, I, having a company that, that does marketing on social media and stuff like that, um, I, I, I've just gotten used to the fact that I'm going to offend people. Mm-hmm. You know, somebody's not going to like a product or um, a, a post that's described in a certain way. Mm-hmm. 
there's, there's always going to be, I'm, I'm always going to have that, um, you know, slight bit of backlash, slight bit of negative comments or, you know, um, the good part is that I've gotten used to it. Um, but it just seems like nowadays there's always somebody that's going to be offended and that's, that's their right. They can be. Um, I just, it's, a, it's, it seems like a lot of energy to constantly be offended by stuff. Yeah. Is there a particular instance that stands out in mind where you had someone, you know, just completely railing you about a particular post or a product or something that you had to deal with or, or have you developed this ability not to internalize any of that and just let it roll off your back? Oh no, I internalize everything and keep it. <laughs> <laughs> no, it sticks with me. Um, no, I mean, there, there was uh, a couple years ago, I, I was out at the Founders Cup uh, LPGA event here in Phoenix, and um, I was watching the golf, and there was a woman standing in front of me who I noticed she had, she had a very thin belt on, and being a, a belt guy, I noticed it. Um, it was a half-inch belt in width, but she had three-inch belt loops on her pants. So it was, it was very visually just kind of offsetting. And I, I took a picture of it and I posted it on like Twitter and made a comment about how, um, when you have a three inch belt loop, you can, you could, you know, wear a bigger belt. And there, there, I got a response from somebody that, that I knew sort of had just, just sort of met um, and it was, it was a very negative response, um, about my post and I contacted the person like personally and I removed the post cause she was all offended. Um, and I, and I contacted her and, and said that I had removed it and, but I was curious what it was that she found so offensive about the photo or the post. And, and she said, um, I think you taking pictures of women's asses and commenting on them is inappropriate and doesn't, um, doesn't match with your brand. And I, I, I was, I was stunned because I had never made a comment about the woman's behind. Um, that wasn't the point of the picture. The picture was showing the, the belt. It just so happens that belt, you know, the belts tend to be near, um, butts. Um, so, um, you know, I'd said to her, I said, you know, I, that, that really wasn't my intent. And, and she basically said I was like, um, degrading women and that I should build them up. Oh, geez. Um, and I said, okay. Um, you know, the, po- the post is down. And, and so I, I apologize. I apologize that's that, you know, that, that you got offended by it. And I am like, Hey, you know, if somebody's feelings get hurt, that's, it, that's bad. Um, and it's not bad, but you know, it, it wasn't my intent. Sure. Um, but actually I do, you know, cause she had said to me that day, she had said, you know, what gives you the right or the authority? Um, and I, I think she had said authority, um, to comment on, well, you know what? I'm a belt maker. I make belts. The, the, you know, that's, that's what the company does. There, there is somewhat of an authority there right. or, or uh, you know, a, a, at least uh, experience on it. Did she know that this was part of, oh your... yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah. she was just being obtuse basically at this point. Yeah, I, uh, um, you know, whatever. It, but that's one that sticks out. You know, there, there's there's other ones. I mean, listen, we we make um, products out of out of uh, leathers. You know, um, you know whether that's 
you know, cow or uh, exotic leathers, lizards and stuff like that. Um, so there's, you know, I've, I've had uh, uh, feedback and sort of I've, I've had threats um, because of people not liking the fact that, um, you know, there was there was one guy that on Facebook uh, when he saw a, a crocodile head cover um, <laughs> sent an email saying, that if he ever comes across me, you know, he would take his driver and smash my head in with it. Jeez. But then when I looked at his account on, on Facebook, um, every picture was him catching a fish <laughs> um, and, and all these fish trophies and stuff. And I just was like, okay, well, um, I, I guess, I guess they're different. Yeah. So there's, there's some lives matter more than others. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, um, listen, we get, we get our, nobody's out there poaching our skins. They're all, you know, from a, uh, mm. government, you know, permitted, uh, you know, ways of getting them. Um, but, but there's, there's always somebody going to be offended. Always. Um, and the, and the thing that I've realized is, is, you know, the, 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 the better a company does, which is generally requires more people eyes on the company, mm that's also going to bring more of the negative. Of course. Yeah. Um, so, you know, there, there's always, you know, downsides to, to that, to, you know, success. If you consider it a downside, I mean, you know, um, that I was thin skinned and, and really worried that, um, you know, like the picture, like, oh, I offended you with that. I'll never post one again. Mm-hmm. Well, all right. I might as well just not have a business. Exactly. So. Exactly. Yeah. But what was the, you know, I, I know we followed your story up to the the land development place. And I think I met you, if I remember correctly, right after you had left that position. And, yeah. and you were just getting going with Handmade, if I remember correctly. This was like, oh, nine, I believe. And I think that you had mentioned that you started and stopped a couple of times. What was, what was it that finally got you to leave the, the real estate world, the development world and start, you know, really chasing after building this company that, that, that has been so successful of late? Well, the, the economy is what got me out of real estate. Um, you know, the company shut down. Oh, it did. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, re- I received a phone call from, from our office in Chicago on like a Friday that said, Hey, um, you know, let everybody know today that it's their last day. <laughs> oh, really? Just like that. Yeah. And they, they made an offer that they said, uh, and if you'd like, you can come back Monday and Tuesday and box things up and we'll pay you for it. Um, otherwise today's your last day too. So, um, so yeah, so th- that was, uh, that was 2007, 2000, halfway through 2007, I think July of it. Um, so I started thinking, well, what am I going to do? Cause I, I mean, I smart enough to realize at that time that that real estate wasn't going to be coming back anytime soon. Right. And, uh, and so I had the idea of, of, uh, starting handmade. Uh, and at that time it was literally just the, the whole concept of the company, the whole product, the only product was handmade exotic putter grips. Was this a concept that you'd been mulling no. over in your head at all? Or is it something you came up with after that moment? No, after, after a couple of weeks after, you know, that I lost my job, mm. uh, I was sitting at home wondering what is it that I'm going to do? Real estate's not going to be back anytime soon. It's, it's really the only thing I've ever done. Right. Um, and I started thinking, well, here's an opportunity 
obviously to do something else. What, if you could do anything in the world tomorrow, what would it be? And my answer was I'd go play golf. But I also knew that I'm not good at golf. And that, so I wasn't going to make a living playing golf. There's no way that's possible. And so I, I you know, playing the kind of the high, high school guidance counselor, I was like, all right, well, what, what do you think you'd want to do in the golf industry? I didn't want to be a sales rep. I didn't want, I didn't want to go work for another company because I had just been in a company where I watched the person who was in charge, in my opinion, drive it into the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I sat around on that boat, like I was on the Titanic and it was going down and I was, I was one of the orchestra players <laughs> just playing and you know, whatever. Just watching it happen. Yeah. And, and, uh, that's when I kind of realized that, that, you know what, I, I want to do something on my own. Mm-hmm. I, I want to have, if it's, if it's going to succeed or if it's not going to succeed, I'd rather have it be based on me than on somebody else. And, and I, so I just didn't want to go work for somebody. And I, I was thinking, well, what could I do? Um, and I used to have a, a, an addiction to putter collecting. I used to collect putters. And I had a, uh, when I was kind of doing this guidance counselor thing, I was, looking, I was in my office at home and I, w- I was looking at the putter collection. And there was a company out there that made putter, exotic putter grips. And I knew nothing about how to make them or exotic leathers. Um, but I knew what they charged for them. And I also thought that they had a design flaw and I sat there and was like, how hard could it be to make a putter grip? Um, not knowing that it's kind of hard to make a putter grip. And, uh, so for the next year I, I went off on this sort of venture to start making putter grips and I would hit walls and, and get rejections on, you know, from manufacturers, um, to help me. Um, and I would, I would quit for a couple days and then I'd pick it back up and then I would quit. And after a year of it, I, I decided I'm going to quit. I quit. I'm going to go find a real job. Like my fiance at the time had told me to do, go find a real job. Um, and it just so happened that the next week, you know, I got introduced and, and signed up to that uh, PSI seminar. And I went through the, uh, well, I went through three days of it. I went through four days of it. I, did the seminar during the seminar? I realized that it was my thinking in the past year of why the company didn't go anywhere, why the product didn't go anywhere, why I wasn't getting anything done. It was it was all me and my thinking, and I needed to change my thinking. Um, and I still wanted to do that. That still wanted to do my own business. And um, after those four days, I, I said, "All right, you know what? I'm not quitting. I'm going back. I'm going to change my thinking, and I'm going to make this happen." Um, and that was, was that 2009. Uh, I think so. That's when I met you and I knew that you were pretty serious about it at that point. Cause we met after, I think it was after the summer of 09, if I remember correctly. Yeah. 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 So yeah. So that was 11 years ago. So I've been, I've been doing it since then. Yeah. Amazing. And, uh, I think if I remember correctly, when you were starting and you just had the putters, the putter grips, I should say. Mm-hmm. You didn't really have any other thoughts of creating other products at that point, did no. you? No. <laughs> You're just going to do putter grips, and I remember you—you you had some prototypes, if I remember correctly. Yep. And you were trying to make sh- you were trying to make the skins work with the prototypes. Yeah. You had some issues. Yeah. I decided to start a high-end exotic leather putter grip company in the worst economy. Yeah. In the country's history. Yep. 
it was and you targeting all the rich folks well yeah um yeah no that was it was it was one product there was no you know it was one of those things mm-hmm. that uh once, once I, I got over a couple hurdles with the, with the grips where I started thinking, well, uh, you know, if I'm going to have a grip, I should have a matching cover for the putter. Mm-hmm. Um, and then customers would start asking, Hey, what about, have you ever thought about this? Have you ever thought about this? Could you make me this? Could you do this? And my answer prior to that summer of self self-help personal growth um, w- would have been, no, I can't do that. No, I, I don't know how to do it. And, and after that, when I would get asked questions, I would say, I tell them honestly, yeah, no, I, I've never done one, but let me go see if I can. Um, let me figure out a way. Um, and through figuring out ways and, and meeting new people and, and, uh, you know, a lot, of mistakes, a lot of bad products. Um, you know, eventually, um, things started, you know, falling into place. Relationships were formed, techniques were learned. Um, you know, um, I don't even do putter grips anymore because I'm the only one in the company that makes them and I don't want to make them. I mean, I want to make them sort of, but they take a long They're time. They're super time consuming. Yeah. 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 Um, so, so yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's branched off since then. And, and no, it wasn't the original, it wasn't the original picture as far as like what's being made now. Mm-hmm. Now, as far as the, my, my original vision of just being broad of, I want to be in the golf industry. I want to make unique things. I want to make things that people want made, you know, so like, they can choose their colors. It can be all about custom. It's, it's not necessarily like, I think this is great. So here's what it is. You tell me what it is that you want and we'll make it happen. Um, I want to be involved in the golf industry. I want to be involved in around golf and golfers. So all that is, is still occurring. Um, just the, the actual, you know, the original product, um, it isn't necessarily there. Like it was, it was envisioned at the beginning. At the beginning, it was like, Oh, everybody's going to have one of these on their putters. Right. Um, <laughs> well, that's, it's not the case. <laughs> um, but so, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty much doing what I wanted to do when I, when I set off to do it, right. I, I basically mm-hmm. said, I want to have a job where <clears throat> I, one, I don't have to wear a suit and a tie um, and that if you saw me at any given point, you would think that I was just coming from or going to a golf course. <laughs> um, that's, that's what, that's what I want. Um, so that's, that's what I've been able yeah, to Yeah, That's not a bad, that's not a bad life to create. Yeah, for sure. So curious, what was it that changed inside your, inside your head in the previous attempts at creating this company before you went and did the sci work versus after, and then being able to stick to it. What was the shift? The, for, for me, that, that, the four day basic, the, the thing that I hit home the most was kind of the whole Yoda thing, right? There is no try. You're either doing it or you're not doing it. And what I realized was that first year when people would ask me, well, what are you doing now? 
you know, you're not in land development. What are you doing now? My answer was always, I'm trying to start this company making exotic putter grips. And when I heard that, I just, I just really felt that my mind, my, my thinking by, by even just making that statement to somebody of being kind of in the middle, it's not even, it's, it's nothing. And that, that's where the company was going. It wasn't, it would start, I would stop. I would, you know, uh, I'd start doubting, you know, do I have the right idea? Do I not have the right idea? Um, it, it, it was nothing. It, you're either doing it or you're not doing it. So why, why do you keep telling people that you're trying to start this thing? Um, and that, that, just, that just to me, when I heard that that weekend, I realized that my thinking, maybe not just in that area, but just my overall thinking was not getting me what I wanted in life. It was keeping me from what I wanted. It was keeping me in a place that I said I didn't want to be, but obviously I did because I was there. Um, because if I went over here, it was scary, or I might not be able to go there because I don't have a piece of paper or it was just my limiting beliefs. And listen, we we know some beliefs and and thinking is good and it's protective and it's cautious. Um, you know, don't touch the stove might be hot. Yeah, that's a good thing. Um, however, you know, there's there much of my thinking was keeping me from achieving what I said that I was wanting. Um, And so I realized that I needed to make some, I needed to kind of reboot, um, skip some of the things that, that I'd been hanging on to as far as, you know, Oh, I'm not good enough. I'm not this. I'm not that. I'm not, you know, it's not working for me. It's not. So, you know, why, why did I, and why did I pick it up when I was four? You know, that four year old Patrick, you know, it worked for him. Maybe it's not working for 30 something year old Patrick or, you know, whatever. I mean, so, it, it, you know, that, that summer and that, and that's why I went, you know, when I did the, 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 the four days I was on board with, okay, what are the next three things to do? Um, so that, that whole summer, the end of that year um, was really all about, all right, let me, let me dive into this stuff. Let me get everything I can out of it and let me make, let me make sure that I'm going to make some changes. Cause I, I know myself, it's kind of like going to the gym, right? Um, be good for a while. And then it slips back into the old thing. And you know, like, Oh, like I'm all fixed. And, and then I, I don't do it. Um, so I, same thing. It's, it's the same sort of mindset with, so that summer it was, I'm going to, I'm going to really ingrain into, you know, a new way of, of thinking and, and, and living and doing things and going out and, um, you know, unfortunately I did it. And, you know, uh, I think that that was, that was the change. And that was to me like the real foundation of, of the company. So when you started this, this journey after the basic seminar that you're talking about, your four days that you did, you know, what did your day, what, what in your day was different? I mean, obviously you talked about the language being gray, you know, I'm trying, I'm, I'm trying to do this. You talked about getting, you know, more commitment around that doing versus trying. But what did you integrate into your days to make your days more productive to propel you down that road uh, toward creating the company that you've created? Well, I mean, I started realizing, like, you know, when I would get a no, let's say, mm-hmm. making a phone call, finding out if somebody could help me make something that I needed made, you know, a part. 
Um, if I heard no prior to that, it would be a stumbling block, um, almost a stopping point. Um, and then I got to the point where it was like, great, I got a no. I'm that much closer to getting a yes. I'm that much closer to finding out. You know, it's going to take so many no's before I find. So it, just, it was just a, a different mind frame of, of I'm not going to. I gave up an engagement, right, to my fiance because she said, uh, you need to go find a real job. This isn't taking off. It didn't take off in the first year. That, after that first year, I mean, it wasn't like, I mean, I, I, got, I was able to get a part made and to, to, to me move in the right direction, but it wasn't like it was bringing in income. Um, so there, were, there was an ultimatum of like, hey, give this up or, or I'm leaving. Um, she's no longer here and I'm still doing this. <laughs> and I, I'm not saying that, I mean, she, she was, you know, a very good person and all that sort of thing, but, but I was committed to this. Um, and I guess I was committed to this more than I was committed to her. Um, Obviously. I, well, I didn't, Hey, listen, if you, there's an ultimatum there. <laughs> I don't really feel like you're not getting what I'm going for. Right. Um, so whatever we, we parted ways, but, um, you know, I've, I've, I've with this company, you know, I've, I've sold out of a 401k to keep it going in the early years. You know, I've sold cars and vehicles and motorcycles, you know, those are vehicles, but I, I have everything basically invested in this company. Um, so, you know, I, I hear from people oh, you know, you're so lucky that you're able to do this and you're able to do that. And they're like, oh, it's just, you know, as if there wasn't sacrifice. It's such an insult. You know, as if, yeah. Uh, like, yeah, I just, I just, listen, I would have loved to have just turned on a light and, and had things, you know. I mean, I, I've got 11 years of, of learning how, learning what not to do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I had figured out a couple of years ago, had I just gone and worked at McDonald's as a cashier or, whatever I would have made more money at that point when you, when, when I look at all that I invested into it mm-hmm. and as far as what I was taking back out. Um, so financially, you know, up until a certain point, it didn't make a lot of sense. Um, but I, this is what I wanted to be doing. Right. And I, you know, I wanted to bring it to, wanted to bring it to a certain level. Um, and was willing to wait and wait and wait and work and wait and <laughs> sacrifice and, um, you know. Now, hey, you know, would love to have uh, seen it happen faster. And and you know, the neat part that 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 I've experienced in like the last couple of years is I've had people that are entering the golf industry maybe come to me and ask me questions um, on a company that they're starting. Um, I didn't find a, the, the industry very receptive when I reached out to people and was asking for advice. I, I found it very closed off. Um, and so when, when people do reach out, I, I tend to like, let them know, um, and, and fill them in and have the, and have the conversations with them. Um, but it's been rewarding to see some of, some of the people that how fast they've grown, um, and I'm not, and I think it's because they've gotten to sidestep some of the things that I've missed or that I hit that slowed me down um, because I kind of filled them in on it. Right. Like, hey, don't, 
don't do this. You're wasting your time here. Don't deal, you know, go over this way, go over that. Um, so it's, it's, it's gotta feel pretty good though. You know, I mean, to help, uh, help people along their path, man, that's, I mean, there's no greater feeling. Absolutely. No, I, I, I love that. Um, and I, and I'm glad to they see get that the benefit of all your wisdom and mistakes over yeah, the, the last 11 years. Yeah. I don't know if it's wisdom, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I can, I can tell you where the potholes are to, you there know, you go. to miss. Yeah. Um, so it's, you know, it's, uh, yeah, it's been an interesting, it's an, it's an interesting ride. It still is. That's awesome, man. You know, you talked about people talking about you being lucky. Yeah. You know, 11 years, 11 years in so far, right? Still growing, still going. And, you know, when I hear that, it's just, it's such an insult. It just totally disregards all the work that went into that. It's, and it, it points to the fact that people don't really understand what it takes to get a good solid business off the ground in the first place. So how many years, you know, from start did it take you to get to the point where you were even making any money that you would consider, you know, like, all right, well, we're profitable now and I can actually draw a salary or I could pay myself a little bit. How long did you, did you go before that point happened? Where it was an actual salary, like kind of a weekly, like here's what I'm paying myself. Yeah. Not the intermittent, oh, we made right. money this month so I can pay myself 500 bucks. Like when you could actually pay yourself a little money. Yeah. So that, that was probably four years after I started four years. Yeah. That was amazing. 2013. Um, but listen, I mean, there's still, there's still times, I mean, you know, end of last year, um, there were several weeks where I didn't take, I didn't pay myself, Mm -hmm. um, because I wanted to put it into a project a marketing campaign or a new product line. Um, you know, and it, and it was like, Hey, we've got, I've got these projects, these it's paying myself. You know, I mean, I look, that's the way I look at it. It's paying me. It's just, it's not going into my bank account and I'm not going to spend it on clothes or something. But what I'm choosing to do is to work on a project, um, which is better than clothes or better than, you know, whatever. Listen, I'm lucky. I I don't have any kids. I don't have a wife. Um, I got two puppies. Bones are cheap. Um, (laughs) You know, so I you know, for me to sit there and be like, Hey, you know, let's go buy a bunch of leather and cut it up and, and, and work on this project. Um, and, and see if maybe this flies, I get a kick out of that. Yeah. Um, however, you know, like my bookkeeper says, you know, you didn't pay yourself last week. Yeah, no, I didn't, you know, we're doing something with the company. Right. So, I mean, that still goes on. Sure. You know, we gotta get, gotta get, gotta get a little more successful to, to make sure I get paid every week and can do the projects. Yeah, definitely. Well, I mean, the projects get bigger though. Sure. I mean, but in a way, I mean, you're still paying yourself, right? You're just taking the money you would have paid yourself anyway and spending it through the company so you can write that, those expenses off. Well, yeah, but it is, you know, but it's, it's don't make it sound like it's, uh, you know, I'm cheating something. No, no, it's not cheating. It's just being smart about how you move money around. Yeah. My my 23 dependents wouldn't like hearing that. So putter grips were the start of the company, but what was the start of your love of golf in the first place? Well, I got, I got introduced to golf with my grandfather, mm. um, my, my mom's father. Uh, he lived on a golf course up in Michigan and um, he used to, you know, take me to the range. He, he had this, when, when I was really young, he, he, he had a, a set of clubs um, and he took a hacksaw and cut them down. 
and then gripped them with like electrical tape. And he made me like a little set of clubs and he would take me to the driving range, um, to whack balls or, you know, later, um, I would, when he would get home from work, we would hop this little, um, kind of horse fence, um, onto the golf course and we would go, he would go and play three holes, um, every night. And then it was, you know, out, it was a little triangle that was right at his house. And, uh, and as I got older, you know, I'd go play with him and it was just something that, something that we would do, something I'd, I'd sit there in the summers and wait for him to get home and be like, come on, let's go out. And then we'd also, because it, there's lakes there on those three holes, um, I would send them out in the lake, um, to, to search for golf balls. Um, so it was just kind of something that, that he introduced me to. And, um, you know, it wasn't, there, there wasn't, it wasn't like, it wasn't a love necessarily of the game at that age. I loved doing it with him. Right. Um, I didn't actually play my first full 18 holes of golf until I was out of college. Um, my college roommate was like, come on, let's, let's go golfing. Um, and, and that's, that's when I got hooked. Um, and, and just really was like, this is, this is something, this is something I like. Um, it's, it's frustrating. Uh, it's challenging. It's never the same. There's, there's, there's no excuse. You know, if I make a bad shot, it's my fault. If I make a good shot, it's because of me. Um, there's no, somebody threw the ball wrong or, you know, just, it's, it's a, uh, it's an interesting game. Yeah. There's a certain amount of purity in knowing that you're responsible for all your results, right? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So it started with the putter grips. The, the introduction of the game came from grandfather, mm-hmm. right? Now you've started to expand your company and you've got multiple product lines going on right now. What are some of the most interesting um, projects that you're working on at present? Are you talking about new, just projects in general or new products or? Yeah. Like what are, um, you know, what are some of the products that you enjoy the most making or what are some of the products that are, are most uh, successful in your product line at this point? Well, you know, the three kind of, staple products that we do are, you know, belts, yardage books, and head covers. Um, all of them, you know, I enjoy, I, I enjoy to see, you know, I enjoy seeing what, what customers come in with, um, you know, whether it's a particular design that they have or, and this is generally, this isn't usually with belts, but with head covers and, and the yardage books, you know, whether it's, certain designs that they come up with or certain um, things that they want added in there and their meanings behind them. Um, You know, making stuff with, you know, family members names on it, or, you know, maybe, um, you know, somebody's a cancer survivor and they're having something made that, you know, to, for them to, um, as a, as a gift for Mm -hmm. kind of, um, you know, th- those are types of things that I, that I in- enjoy. Um, and then seeing what, 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 you know, people come up with as far as just like, there's the black, the browns, the cognacs. And then there's the guys that come in that are like, you know, give me this pink thing with purple here and this here. And, um, you know, so it's just, it's always, it's always interesting to see you know, wh- what people want. Mm-hmm. What part of the business lights you up the most? When you think about it, you know, what's the, what's the shot that keeps you coming back in terms of running the business or being involved with the business in the first place? 
Well, I mean, there's a handful. I mean, the people that I get to work with, um, you know, that they're, they're basically, I mean, they're family. Um, so that's a huge thing. Um, you know, the creative aspect, um, whether it's, you know, new products or new designs on products that we've done. You know, I, I love that aspect. Um, I, I love trying to, I, I love getting new customers. I, I love when we get emails or phone calls that are like, man, I didn't even know about you. This stuff is great. Um, to where it's like, all right, well, let's have a goal of, let's go introduce it to, to more people. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's not one-sided. I mean, right. I've got, got it, got a handful of hats and, and so it's, it's always something new each day as far as, you know, what can be done, what needs to be done. Um, so yeah. Yeah. So what are your long-term plans for the company? Well, long-term it's, it's same as short-term really grow the company, just get out there, get out there more. I mean, where do you see handmade going? Like, do you, do you envision a limit or do you envision a, like a resting place where you'd feel like, uh, you know what? I accomplished everything I wanted to accomplish with this company. Or is this, or is it going to be just a labor of love for life for you? Whereby the expansion piece just is, there's just never enough. You know, you, you want to keep going into the next thing, building the next product. Well, I'd like handmade to get to, I'd actually like handmade to get to a point to where, um, I could start doing, uh, get back a little bit into the building business. Um, as far as handmade, I mean, I don't, I like where it's at as far as the, the products that we do, um, you know, I'll, I'll have people that'll ask, you know, well, what about shirts? What about this? What about, you know, like golf shirts and, and pants and outfits? And, um, and it's like, you know, I don't know. I just kind of want to stay in my lane. Um, you know, there's, there's a nice niche here. Um, it could grow. I mean, I never expected, you know, where it's at today as far as the products that we're doing, that that, that wasn't the initial thought. So for me to sit here today and be like, uh, no, I'm just going to stay in this lane. And I'm not going to do, it. I have no clue what's coming in five years from now. Um, you know, I, I know the growth that I'd like to take it. Um, don't think that that necessarily requires other products. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, you know, I'd, I'd like to have this, um, ramped up and then, you know, get back a little bit kind of in the side at night after hours as projects, um, getting back into, um, you know, home designs. Cool. That was a surprise. I didn't, I didn't see that coming. Well, I mean, there, there was, you know, a good amount of time spent in that yeah. construction and design. And, um, so, and you know, whether that's, um, you know, showrooms for handmade, it could be that. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Um, but it's all creative at the end of the day. Yeah. So you're just, you're, you're loving the creativity piece. And if handmade does or continues to do well and continues to expand, then you're basically saying, Hey, I'm going to go create something somewhere else, you know, in a, in a different venue or in a different, you know, sort of flavor. Absolutely. But it's all creativity. Yeah. At the end of the day. Beautiful. 
So at this point in your life, man, what does success look like for you? I don't really have to answer to anybody. Um, you know, I, I get to work with people that I, that I love. Um, I get to do what I love. I get to be, you know, around the game that I love. Um, I think that's pretty successful for me. Um, you know, it's not, it's not a, a money thing. I mean, I, listen, I'll take more. I'll make more. You know, I wouldn't mind making more. That's the plan. Um, but, you know, get, getting, getting to do what I want to do, um, and, and I'm doing it. Yeah. Um, so that's what success is to me. Dude, I love that. I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, just waking up and owning your day, being able to choose what you wanted to do, you know, what projects you want to work on. I mean, that's my idea of paradise, my friend. Absolutely. <laughs> and yeah, yeah, like you, I've done my best to design my life in that fashion. It's amazing uh, that we have the opportunity to sit across from one another and, and know that we can wake up each day and do that. So it's a very, very cool thing. Man, so tell these guys how they can get in touch with you or get in touch with uh, Handmade in general and get a gander at some of your products. I know um, you've made some incredible, incredible leather goods, man, like uh, from the colors to the designs to the the fabrics, you know, the skins. Man, it's amazing some of the stuff you guys are putting out. Visually, it's just stunning, a lot of the stuff. And I know that once people see it, they're going to be drawn to it. So where would you send people? Well, we've got our website that a friend of mine designed. Cool. Uh, PatrickGibbonsHandmade.com. Um, we're on Facebook and Instagram uh, where you can see products. So that's where I would go. Cool. Website, Facebook, Instagram. And my last question is always the same, my friend. What does wellness look like to you in your life? It's smiling puppies. Smiling puppies. Yeah, when my puppies are smiling, <laughs> everything's well. Oh, that's awesome, man. That's a new one. I have not heard that one yet. You should see my puppies. <laughs> yeah, I, I've seen them for sure. That's awesome, man. Well, hey, dude, thanks for being here. I appreciate you taking time out of your day and uh, just sharing a little bit about your life. I know there's uh, going to be some nuggets that people can pull and apply in their own, and there's always value in that. So thank you so much for doing that. Guys, if you haven't checked out Patrick's World, be sure and do that. Check out PatrickGibbonsHandmade.com for all the products. Follow him on social media, Facebook and Instagram, as he said before. And uh, we'll see you guys in the next episode. Take care. That's going to do it for this episode of Hardwater Radio, guys. As always, thank you so much for listening. We appreciate you guys. And if you're vibing on this content, be sure and help us grow the tribe by liking, sharing, subscribing. And by all means, leave us a comment on your favorite podcatcher. Let us know what you like, what you dislike. And if you are someone out there who would like to tell your story, we are a collector of stories here. Shoot me a message, jason at hardwater.com or pick me up on social media. Uh, Facebook, Instagram, whatever works for you. And I'd love to have that conversation with you guys. Until then, this is Jason Archer signing off, reminding you to remember your future.